to In This Case, a podcast from Hilti that goes behind the scenes at one of the most iconic brands in the world of construction. We'll talk to the people who make it all happen and ask them who, how, what if, and of course, why. Here's your host, Claire Combs. Welcome to the sixth and final installment of our series on product development at Hilti. So far, we've looked at where ideas come from, how a good idea transforms into a tangible product, why it's so important to collect input and feedback, how we bring new products to market using our direct sales model, and how we stay connected to products once they enter our portfolio. But time marches on, friends, and now we reach the inevitable end and ask the question, what happens at the end of a product's life cycle? Or put another way, what happens when an innovation becomes a legend? To get us started on the product phase-out topic, let's go back to Heinrich from product management and Julie from materials management. In the end, it's important that when you phase a new product in, you also spend time and efforts on ensuring that the phase-out of the predecessor or in some cases, the phase-out of a product with no successor takes place in an orderly and planned fashion. I would say in the best case scenario, our sales teams do not really notice that there is a phase-out. If the process runs as it should, our account managers and, and engineers and other people in the field will get information that there is a new product and will be able to switch their customers over to the new product without having issues or problems. And that in itself is a, is a process that requires quite some work. Together with product management, materials management is responsible for phasing out products that are at the end of their life cycle, most often because a successor product is getting ready to hit the market. Where do we have the stock? How much do we have? How many days on hand or months on hand? How many do we project to sell for each month that we before we bring out the new product? And then when do we need to start bringing down what we order and what we bring in? And so sometimes it's hard to balance between um, what we already have on stock and then also still servicing some of the sales orders that we see and come through. I'm Lamar Marshall. I've been here 19 years, uh, all of it in H&A Logistics. Good number of years as a materials manager and team lead. Uh, the last year and a half as process manager for promotions and product launches. If we don't phase an item out well in any MO, you're basically holding discontinued inventory, stuff that nobody's necessarily looking for. So it can quickly become an obsolete, and that's a financial term here, that means we have more than 12 months and it, it impacts our profitability. So one of the things we wanna do is turn that discontinued TE60, shall we say, back into cash and buy the new one. So there is part of the uh, art slash science of a product launch is to get rid of the old without running out too soon and bringing the new in to launch on time. Now, ideally, I would run out May 31st and June 1st, I'd have the new one, but this is not an ideal world. So to recap, too much stock at the end of a product life cycle leads to obsolescence. Not enough, and we can't fill orders. The word balance comes up a lot in the world of materials management. But in the end, we all share one goal, to be the best partner for our customers. 
So we do tend to carry a little more inventory at the end of a life cycle just to support customer service and availability. We, we don't actually try to drive ourselves out of stock before the end of a, of a, of a product's life cycle. So in a perfect world, we phase out a product at the end of its life cycle, such that we have little to no inventory on hand. But sometimes products come back to us after they've been sold. And when that happens to a product with an expiration date, there's a lot to consider. For more on that, I sat down with Jerry Metcalf, Senior Manager of Environment and Safety. All of our aerosols, when they expire, are considered to, by EPA to be hazardous waste. The EPA is the Environmental Protection Agency. The reason is, is not their deadly poisons or toxins or anything like that. It's just the fact that they're flammable. Puts you into the hazardous waste category. If we take those products back with the express intention of disposing of them, we're acting as a hazardous waste disposal company, but that's why we can't take some of those back. Same way with boosters. So we can't take back chemicals or boosters for disposal after they've been sold. But what happens to expired chemicals we happen to still have on hand? Those, like if they're in the store or they're in the D.C., they come back up the, the supply chain to the D.C., they're accumulated there, and then we ship them to an incinerator down in Houston. And we incinerate them. Kind of ironic, we incinerate Firestop. That's what we do, because you don't want to landfill it. You know, that's... Uh, that's not good. So we, we incinerate everything. Okay, that's how Hilti handles chemical disposal. But most of the Hilti products that make their way back to us at the end of their life cycle don't come with an expiration date. So what happens to them? The way that, that works is a lot of our recycling, for, for example, tools is generated by the fleet program. When those fleet tools come back in, we have to do something with those tools. And uh, so we send them to a recycler. And same with batteries. For a company the size of Hilti that operates all across North America, I imagine the recycling process is a little complex, right? Uh, we have a tool recycler for the US, and then we have a separate one for Canada because of all the import-export stuff that you'd have to go through. Okay, two partners for tool recycling. Let's start with the states. Our recycler is zero landfill. It's all done in the U.S. They're uh, ISO 14001 company, which as are we. And what about the recycling partner we use in Canada? The company that does that is in the eastern part of, the, of Canada. And again, they're ISO 14001, they're state of the art. You know, I've been to their facility and you pay a, a recycling fee, but for that, they recycle the tools. So I went up and audited that. We don't send any place, anything to anybody. We don't check them out first. The ISO is an organization that sets standards internationally. The standard that Jerry mentioned maps out a framework for an effective environmental management system. ISO 14001 is a uh, process by which they you continually improve, in this case, environmental processes. So, and we go, we're actually we're going through the audit here in a couple of months here in the U.S. But yeah, they, they do it right. They've got all the proper certifications, you know, they're not just some scrap dealer grinding these things up. So they're recycling tool cases 
toolboxes, tool, the case, the actual body of the tool, that sort of thing. So it's kind of a, a mixture of plastics, which they use for things like paintbrush handles and, you know, that sort of thing. So, I mean, they get reused. Of course, all the metals get melted down and, and recycled and used. So I know when they do the batteries, the, the component they get out of there is cobalt. If, like me, you're wondering what recycled cobalt gets used for, well, prepare yourself for a full circle moment. Cobalt is the binder that holds our diamond bits together. If you look at the little teeth on our diamond bits and diamond blades, it's full of little industrial diamonds, but the glue that holds it together is cobalt, which who knew, you know? So that's one of the uses for cobalt. I don't, I'm sure there are others, but I don't know of any. And you know, another myth buster thing here, everybody thinks, well, golly, you recycle a lot of tools. You gotta be making some money on that. Not one thin dime do we make off that. It actually costs us a lot of money to recycle these tools, but it costs us money, but we choose to do it anyway because it's the right thing to do. Next, I asked Jerry if he could quantify the impact of our recycling program. Here's what he had to say. Last year in the U.S., we recycled, what was it? It was over 900,000 pounds of tools. You can do the math on converting that to tons. It's a lot. In Canada, we just formalized our program there in July, but um, they've done a great job. They did, from July going forward, they did like 36,000 pounds of tools. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot. You know, it's, you kind of you, you kind of puts that in perspective, how, how many we actually sell, you know. It's amazing. Okay, what about batteries? Is that included in that number? No, no, the batteries we did last year, U.S. and Canada, we did 55,000 pounds of batteries. Can you figure a battery, even the big batteries might weigh a pound, pound and a half. Okay, so step one, round up retired fleet tools and any other old tools we can get our hands on, including other brands. Step two, keep them out of landfills by instituting a world-class recycling program. But Hilti tools are built to last. So what happens when a Hilti tool comes back to us and it's still in usable condition? Well, I think we may have just stumbled upon step three. The tools that went to our recycler, a lot of those are in fairly good shape. And so we gave the recycler a list of tools. You know, it's usually the smaller stuff. You know, you can't use TE3000s building houses, but smallest uh, tools, the smaller tools gave them a list. And I said, you know, if these things look usable, send them back to us. So now you might be wondering why we would ship product to the recycler only to have them ship tools that meet certain criteria right back to us. Jerry told me that's not an oversight, but actually a really intentional way to help us manage the program sustainably. Well, it's a logistical issue. It's an efficiency issue. It's a cost issue. If we were going to sort out the good ones ourselves, all those have to funnel back through some location. You got to have space to do that. And then... The ones you're not going to keep, you got to ship on there. So now you ship the tool twice versus shipping it once. Okay, now back to what we do with the tools once we receive them from the recycler. We would refurbish those tools, you know, match them up with the proper chargers and batteries and all that, box them up, put a manual in them, and we donate them to Habitat for Humanity. Okay, so uh, my name's Anne-Marie Harrison and I'm Hilti's Community Relations Manager. Back in 2014, we identified that there was a large number of tools going into our recycler 
up in Wisconsin that were still really good tools. And so we started small. We started with Habitat for Humanity International. We identified what made the most sense for their builds. And every time we send tools to the recycler, they identify which ones work and are in usable condition and they send them back to us so we can refurbish them and send them to Habitat. Since then, in an effort to really expand our reach and really maximize what we're able to give, we've identified other partners to help us really kind of drive our mission of building a better future to also provide tools for them. And what it does at the end of the day for the organizations is it's, it's a form of budget relief. So they don't have to spend their resources on tools. They can spend it on programming or other efforts that really moves the organization forward. You know, on one hand, it's really cool to think about how we got to this point team members working together to improve our end-of-life cycle processes and doing good along the way. On the other hand, this feels very natural. Of course Hilti would donate refurbished tools to help build a better future. It's who we are, after all. But however natural it may seem to you and me, Anne-Marie says we should not underestimate the impact this program has on the organizations and communities who receive Hilti tool donations. Yeah, so the reactions are huge. For anyone who's ever been on the charitable side, you would know that each one person wears 25 different hats and they have to make $1 go $10. So they start with a zero budget. These tools are a true budget relief. So I recall right after Hurricane Harvey, we called our primary disaster relief organization, SVP, and said, we want to outfit all of the geographies that you're in with tools so you don't have to worry about this and it was they were overwhelmed with joy they would send us constant updates and videos i even got to go experience one of their areas in houston where they were working on a neighborhood and i was wearing my hilti gear and some of the owners of the homes that were being worked on just came out and and thanked me i mean it was a very emotional moment because they recognized me because of our tools that were on their property for months and months and months at a time and it was a very humbling moment and it was one of those that just reinforced why we're doing what we're doing Next, I asked Anne-Marie how Hilti chooses which organizations to engage with as part of our community outreach. As a part of our giving guidelines, we've identified three focus areas where we really concentrate our efforts, and it's housing, community development, and education. There are lots of programs Hilti supports under each of those pillars, but I asked Anne-Marie about an education initiative that ties directly to our end of life cycle processes. We have several trade and apprentice programs that are kind of autonomous to their own geography. So we work really closely with our account managers in each area who either work independent of their customers or with their customers on identifying really good trade and apprentice programs where we could give our tools. In addition, we have our own in-house apprentice program, which we're really proud of. It's three people every 12 weeks from a South Dallas community, an at-risk population, where we are bringing them into the Irving facility to train them and give them both the hard and soft skills to then in turn go find sustainable employment, whether it's at Hilti or another organization that we can connect them to. And the most extraordinary thing about this whole process is that we use the refurbished tool program, which is exclusively benefiting charitable organizations as the vehicle for the apprentices to learn this type of skill set. 
I mean, it would bring anyone to tears if you hear them talk about it. And we welcome everyone to come and visit um, the program in Irving because it's just, it is just a very profound experience. Hilti's apprenticeship program began in 2018. Anne-Marie told me that she's working with our human resources team, among others, to build a network of partner organizations who could become potential employers for Hilti apprenticeship graduates. There's little doubt that this program is already making an impact, but it's definitely not easy to put something like this into practice. Since it's the name of the game on this podcast, I had to ask, why in particular have we chosen to invest time and resources this way? Education is something that we can all help give. One of the things that we defined very early was that education is the greatest equalizer for all people. And so we can help people in schools, those who decide to go post-secondary and those who haven't had any formal education at all, and give them the tools, literally, to enhance their skill set to go and find sustainable employment. And so with that in mind, what we are trying to do with all of our giving is we're trying to be a catalyst. We're trying to move a person forward or we're trying to move an organization forward. And those buckets, housing, community development, and education, are three buckets that we felt like we could do that in. Clearly, there's a lot of good work being done in North America. But when it comes to building a better future, we certainly aren't in it alone. The Hilti Foundation was founded in 1996 by the Martin Hilti Family Trust, based on the principle that the most effective community investments should be sustainable, scalable, and measurable. All hallmarks of our new apprenticeship program. So there you have it. I hope you've enjoyed hearing about Hilti's product development cycle and just maybe learned something new along the way. You know, one thing you didn't hear from Jerry Metcalf is that he has the honor of being the organization's first Legacy Cup recipient. It's an annual award that goes to someone who's making a difference in the community. Jerry received the Legacy Cup together with retired teammate Matt Schaefer for his work with Habitat for Humanity. Frankly, I can't imagine a better way to close out a series about the Hilti difference, so I asked Jerry about his drive to build a better future. Take it away, Jerry. When the Oklahoma City bombing happened in 1995, you know, that's right here at home, and that's in our backyard, and it really, it really upset me. I wanted to go help, and you can't, you know, because you got to be a trained professional. I think I'd probably qualify as a trained professional. But anyway, so, you know, I wanted to go help, and so you couldn't, and it bothered me for a long time, and I finally figured out, well, okay, fine, you can't go there, but you can do other things to help. And so first chance I got was the, I think it was 98, the tornado hit Edmond. I said, oh, I'm going to go down there and help. So I called around, and I got a little Salvation Army, and they said, come on down. We'll put you to work. And I said, great. So this was like on a Wednesday. And you got to remember, this is before Internet, cell phones. We had a telephone. That was our communication. So I said, I'm going down there Friday to work. And I just casually mentioned to somebody, Friday morning I'm standing out in front of the building with three van loads of people. I thought, where the hell do all these people come from? <laughs> you know, but yeah, this Hilti people, they'll show up.
In This Case is a production of Hilti North America. To give us feedback, ask a question, or share an idea for a future podcast, email HiltiDirect at Hilti.com. Hilti.com.